A word today from our Lord. Turn, if you will, in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. <clears throat> I'm sorry, all of a sudden, uh, my sinuses have gone crazy. I, I don't know if that's your fault, my fault, or Brother Jerry's fault. I'm leaning toward Brother Jerry. I don't know about y'all. but uh, right. Mark chapter 5. We continue to make our way through this book. I love studying the, the, the gospel of Mark because it speaks so much about Jesus and what he did. If you found that, message entitled today, A Needed, Needed Salvation. If you will, let's stand to honor the reading of God's word. If you can. If you can, it's okay. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as he got out of the boat, now I'm just going to pause there to say, you remember that Mark's favorite word is immediately or as soon as. As soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tomb and met him. He lived in the tombs. No one was able to restrain him anymore, even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he had snapped off the chains and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. And always, night and day, he was crying out among the tombs and in the mountains and cutting himself with stones. When Jesus saw, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him. He cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? He asked him. My name is Legion. He answered him, because we are many. And he kept begging him not to send them out of the region. Now, a large herd of pigs was there, feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, send us to, to the pigs so that we may enter them. And he, Jesus, gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits came out. And entered the pig, and the herd pigs, and the herd of about two thousand rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. The men who tended them ran off and reported it in the town and the countryside, and people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon possessed by the legion sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that today, we pray that you will take your word and open it to our hearts so much that we can hear from you. I pray that as we look at this man who so desperately needed a word from you, I pray that as he received a word and a touch from you, so will we. In your name, amen. You may be seated. Pardon me just a second. Randy, you may turn off on this microphone uh, the floors and the house, and you may get rid of that ring. <clears throat> as I study this text today, 
I didn't want to overcomplicate it because this is a very familiar and, and, a, and a very powerful story. The truth is, it's just a story from the life of Jesus, but the story, uh, any story from the life of Jesus has powerful consequences and powerful uh, impact. In point of fact, if you read it, you go back to verse, verse 1, here's what happened. Jesus got into a boat and he went to what's called the other side. I want to pause there to say something to you. You might want to do a study about the other side because even in the book of Mark, there are four or five times when Jesus went to the other side. I told you last week, a lot of times God calls us to go to the other side because it is on the other side that needs are met. It's on the other side where we get out of our comfort zone. It is on the other side where the gospel needs to be shared. In fact, you may hear a message down the road just entitled, The Other Side. He came to the other side, and as soon, immediately, when he got out of the boat, he was met by a man who was filled with the devil. Have you ever met anybody filled with the devil? Don't say amen, and don't punch your wife. Have you ever met anybody that was filled with the devil? This man was filled with the devil. And the truth is, Jesus immediately recognized what was going on. Jesus immediately saw this man. But I want to say this to you. Those people are me. Because before I met Christ, I was filled with the devil. Before you start pointing your bony finger at me, that means you got four pointing back at you. Before you met Christ, you were filled with the devil. And all we're going to do is just kind of walk through this morning... Just in three easy snapshots, what I see. First of all, I want you to see the condition of a pathetic sinner. Now, did you hear that? When I say pathetic sinner, everybody gets quiet. And do you know why? Because that's not the politically correct term to use. You don't politically correct, be politically correct and call somebody pathetic today. But I want to say this to you as an aside. The closer you get to politically correctness, the further you seem to get away from God's truth. The closer you get to God's truth, the further you get away from politically correct. I will tell you without any hesitation, this man was a pathetic sinner like most people outside of Christ are. When I was outside of Christ, I was a pathetic sinner. When you were outside of Christ, you are a pathetic sinner. This man outside of Christ, he is a pathetic sinner because he is pathetic because we cannot help ourselves. We need help, but we can't help ourselves. That's a hard message in America today because we're self-reliant. We're self-dependent. We're self-confident. We can do it by ourselves. I was thinking just this week, I was driving, maybe I'm back from Montgomery. And I was thinking how pathetic people are going to be someday, one day. Listen to me, men. We don't want to talk about spiritual things with our families and our wives. We can put that off to later. That could be another time. We can get through it. We can muddle through it. And one day you're going to be standing before Jesus himself as your judge. And then you're really going to be pathetic. This man was pathetic, and, and we can find at least six characteristics here that the, that the Scriptures tell us. 
Can I just give them to you? Think about, think about these six characteristics here. First of all, the cemetery. He lived in the tombs. He was from the tombs. He came out of the tomb. And those tombs, now watch this. We do know that for a Jew, you never were around dead, a dead, a dead body because it would make you unclean. And those tombs were literally holes in the side of a mountain where bodies were laid. And if you can picture it, the holes in the side of the mountain, and then you had the mountain, and on the other side was where people lived. And by design, there was a mountain between the cemetery and the people who were living. You know, that was on purpose. You see, this man was living in the cemetery among the graves with the tomb, and he was separated from life. He was separated from a community. He was separated. And do you know why? One of the reasons why? Because people filled with the devil have little desire to live in the land of the living. They have little desire to have any connection with people who have connection to God. Can you see the picture of that today? People living in the cemetery, people, they're, they're living among the dead and don't even know that they're dead because they're apart from Christ. This man had a bad case of demon possession, a bad case of wanting to be alone. So you see the cemetery. The second thing you see, now the cemetery would be in verses 2 or so, and then it's still in verse maybe uh, 3, you see it talks about the chains. This is what... This is what someone who is a pathetic sinner can do. Nothing for themselves. They live among the land of the dead and they live in chains. Now watch this. This man was in the chains of the evil one, but the but humankind tried to chain him and they couldn't keep him chained. You know why that is? We cannot apply a human, a human answer for a spiritual issue. The church today in America is dead and dying because we have for 50 years tried to apply human answers to spiritual problems. Got a problem in your church? We got a program to fix it. Well, let me tell you what the program is. You bring it to Jesus. Got a problem in your life? You know what the real program is? Bring it to Jesus. You see, this man, this man had a chain around him that no human could bind. In fact, every time they tried to put him in chains or shackles, they would be broken. You see, the, the sinner, the pathetic sinner, cannot help himself because he's a stranger to God and he's chained to evil in his soul. He may not even understand what's going on, but he knows something's wrong. So you see the cemetery, you see the, the chains. Number three, You'll see the crying out. The crying out, it's found down in verse 5. Most translations use the same verbiage and they say he was crying out. The Greek literally means that he was screaming out. It means that he was in such agony that people could hear him from among the tombs with that high-pitched scream in agony. You know, one of the things we're trying to teach Piper right now, at seven years old... Is not to scream. I know nobody else has that issue. Hello? We were in the pool the other day with uh, her new, call it stepbrother and sister, but they, uh, step, stepsisters, but 
in point. It's like, like her sister automatically. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And all of a sudden, Christy's screaming, and I'm, I'm two steps to the pool about to dive in and save her because of this piercing scream. Do you know what I'm talking about? Scream has a way of catching your attention. This man would be among the tombs, and he would be in such agony that he would scream out for everybody, and everybody would hear for for miles around. Now, folks, we may not hear many screams like that in this culture today, but the screaming from that lost soul comes in many other forms. There'll, people, there'll be people who will mistreat you, and it's a screaming from their soul because their soul is in such torment. You'll find people who will take the Lord's name in vain. You'll find people who are just simply mean because deep in their soul they know that they're estranged to God and their soul aches to be connected to something real and they're not connected to something real. And their hurtful and hateful voice is a scream, just like he, just like his crying out. But his screams, his crying out ran so deep. Are you getting the picture of this guy? He lives... In a cemetery, he's chained in his soul, but you can't change him in, chain him in his body. And he's hurting so bad he's crying out, but his hurting continues so badly that he's cutting himself. The cutting. Truth is, the truth be told is that this man was filled with such evil and such disdain for himself because, yes, he was demon-possessed. Yes, he was apart from Christ. And he was hurting so badly in his soul that he was cutting his body. It will shock some of the older people in this room to know, and some of the younger people have already been face-to-face with it, that cutting oneself has become a problem in this culture. For me personally, this is a sad result that is the result of a highly paganized society. Instead of a life-giving, life-affirming relationship which is found with Jesus, as a society, we have focused on other things. We have focused on our affluence, our money, our assets, our self-worth. We've focused on other things, and we've brought about emotional and spiritual devastation, which has caused emotional and mental instability and resulted in cutting. You know, when you get in pain, you do a lot of things you don't do other times. I read this a years ago. There was a, a documentary done in Africa about the deer in Africa. And the deer in Africa were being attacked brutally by this massive herd of vicious flies. Now you think that's a fly and a deer? Well, listen... Those flies became so bad and so hurtful that those deer would, would crash into the water, would run into trees, would, would literally run into fire if they needed anything they could do to get rid of the flies. It was self-destructive, but they had to have some relief. For the pathetic sinner outside of Christ, he's looking for relief. He just don't know where to look yet. 
Are you getting the picture of him? Pathetic. Lives in a cemetery. He, he's changed spiritually, but you can't chain him physically. And, and, and he's crying out, and he's even cutting himself. And see the confusion. Number five, the confusion that he faces. You see, as soon as Jesus got out of the boat, he was there confronting Jesus. He was there with Jesus. You see, he wanted to be close to Jesus, but he didn't want to be close to Jesus. He wanted Jesus to do something for him, but he didn't want Jesus to do something for him. He, he wanted what Jesus had, but he didn't want Jesus had. Do you know what the truth is? You're going, Brother Jerry, that doesn't make sense. Evil, evil, will cause your mind not to work right. Not to work the way God designed it, and that is correct. You get sin in your life, you'll find your mind to simply become confused. This man was confused about many things, but he was not confused about who Jesus was. You heard his declaration. He did, he did better than most of us who claim to know Christ. What do you have to do with me? Jesus, son of the most high God. He knew Jesus. And yet he was confused about what he wanted. I wonder today if there's a confusion. We want to take the benefits that Jesus offers, that is, escape hell and get to heaven. But we don't have the obligation that Jesus calls us to. And it's sad to say for many years we've been told nothing about this obligation side. I don't do this much, but I'm going to do it today. You know, the Baptist piñata is Joel Osteen. Everybody takes swipes at Joel. You may like him. Let me tell you. I don't find Joel to be so offensive as to what he says. I find him offensive to be what he doesn't say. He'll give you all the benefits and all the good things over here, but he is slack on what God expects and what you have to do to receive God's blessing. If you're going to be true to God's Word, you need to see the balance at both of it. And we'll get there in just a second because evil has a way of pervading the pathetic sinner, which brings us to the last characteristic here, and that's the control. That is the control. Now, we like to be in control. I was having a conversation with one of our members last night, and one of the things that the rules pretty smile, she said, yeah, I kind of like to be in control. We like to be in control, but the truth is, when you read about this guy, you know what you walk away with? That he is not in control of his life. Jesus says, what is your name? When it wasn't Tom or Sammy or Jim or Joe. My name's Legion. Legion meant a thousand back then. You see, this guy was so filled with the devil, had so many, so many demons. Legion literally means a thousand. As far as I'm concerned, that's not a split personality. That's a multiple personality. Could I get an amen? It was a complete takeover by Satan. Now, we don't know how this came about. Let's just be honest. We don't know how this came about, but I would suggest to you that it wasn't he was himself one day and then he was somebody else the next day. I would suggest to you it's little by little. Because that's how Satan moves in and takes over your life, even as a believer. He'll find a chink in your armor, a weakness. And he'll work on that until he gets a toehold on your life. And then when he's got that toehold, he's kind of got a place to begin to work on you. And then he begins to get a foothold. 
And then he develops into a stronghold. And all of a sudden, he has total hold. And you have no control. Some preachers suggested that at times this man spoke in singular voice. And sometimes he spoke in multiple voices. I don't know about that. There's no scripture to tell us like that. But here's what you can bet. With a thousand demons so prevalent, he wasn't in control of his life. That's the pathetic sinner. Not in control of your life. For the person who is outside of Christ, evil is in charge. And when evil is in charge, you, by definition, have a deep need. And he came to Jesus. The condition of the pathetic sinner. Is there someone in this room who by definition is a pathetic sinner outside of Christ? Is there someone in this room who, yes, I remember years ago when I prayed to receive Christ, but I have to tell you the truth, Brother Jerry, he hadn't had control of my life in a long time. The truth is, I have my philosophy of life, I have my jobs to do, but when you really get down to it, I'll be one of those standing before Jesus one day and wondering what I did. Jesus faced this man down, knowing he was a man that had a need for salvation. I want you to move from the condition of the pathetic sinner to the compassion of the personal Savior. Compassion. Mark tells us that as soon as Jesus stepped out of the boat, he should have used the word immediately, Mark and Peter's favorite word, he met this needy man. Now they're on the other side. We've already talked about that. And verse 6, look at this. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran down and knelt before him, and he cried out with a loud voice. He came and he fell down before Jesus. What a lesson for us to learn. We want to strut into the presence of God and strut out in the presence of God based on our goodness. And I'm going to tell you, if you ever get in the presence of God, you and I both will realize just how pathetic our lives are. When Isaiah saw him, he said, woe is me. I am unworthy. I am unclean. I am undone. But not only am I, I live among a bunch of unclean people. With the man standing before him, I think Jesus looked at him and he saw three things. Going to be on the screen, lightning quick. He looked beyond his fault, he looked beyond his flaws, and he looked beyond his failures. Brother Jerry, can you find those words there? No, but let me just tell you. We can see these in him. This man failed because he failed to recognize the evil that was overtaking him. He had flaws because just like us, he was a sinner even before Satan took him over by nature and choice. And he had faults because he was using what he had to intimidate and hurt people and cause fright to people he'd come in contact with. And yet Jesus saw (coughs) all of these faults and failures and flaws and he hurt for the man. Now, did you hear that? He hurt 
for the man. He didn't see this man, this gathering demoniac. He didn't see this man for what he was in the arms of Satan. He saw this man for what he could be in the arms of a Savior. When you see Jesus, he's looking at people. He's always moved with compassion for people because all the people that he saw have a basic need. Listen, it is a need to be reconnected with God and be saved from their lostness. If I had one prayer for the church of the 21st century in America, it would be that we begin to see people like that. I know the teenagers always hate it when old people say this. It was a day when moms and dads were at the altar praying for their kids to get right with God. They didn't spend much time justifying sin. They prayed for God to get a hold of their kids. Today, we seem to redefine compassion with rationalization. You see, Jesus was compassionate because he could see their need. Jesus was compassionate because he was moved to action to help them meet their need. Today we're moved. Our compassion is emotion which leads to rationalization which means to explain in a way that they, the sin that our kids and our grandkids and our aunts and our uncles and our friends commit and we go, we know they're sinning but God understands. All I want to ask you folks, anybody in this building, here's the challenge. You find that attitude in this book and I'll swallow it. If, there, if we're living in sin and God understands, He owes Jesus an apology. When we rationalize out and say, it's all okay, it's none of our business, you wonder what Jesus had in mind when He said, go therefore and preach the gospel and make disciples. And with that attitude, we literally... And with that attitude, we literally condemn our family and our friends, our neighbors, our loved ones, to a place called hell. Either in an eternal hell because they've never been saved, or a lifetime of hell because they've come into Christ and now they're living like the devil. This man came before Jesus and he fell on his face in repentance. And I'm just going to tell you what you already know. Without repentance, there is no relief. Without repentance, there is no release. Without repentance, there is no being saved. You'll be tied up in bondage. And the punishment for sin will be yours forever. The condition and the compassion. Of the personal Savior. Now in the context of this story. Jesus met the man face to face. What's your name? My name's Legion. We're many. And so their conversation. The conversation. Now remember Jesus is speaking to the evil. In that man's life. He spoke to the demons. Never got through to the man. And that brings us to the last thought. And that is the change. By a powerful Savior. You see, Jesus didn't speak to the 
man, he spoke to the evil. And may I say this to you? If you'll do what this man did and fall down before Jesus, he'll do your fighting for you. Can I say that again? I think it just went right over your head. If you'll fall down before Jesus and utter submission and repentance, he'll do your fighting for you. If you choose, on the other hand, to go head to head with the evil one, you're not equipped. You have just brought a knife to a gunfight. It is true, greater is he who's in you than he who is in the world, but it is equally true, greater is he who is in this world than you are by yourself. You see, Jesus fights our battles for us. And after conversing, I mean, we're staying with the story. After conversing with the, with the demons, the evil that was in this man, Jesus gave them permission. Don't you like that? That the demons, Teddy, the demons asked Jesus for permission? Well, the demons and the demoniac both know who Jesus is. Kind of leaves us thinking sometimes. To go into the pigs. Now, I want you to think about this in numbers. You want to know how powerful a demon is? You only had a thousand demons and you had two thousand pigs, and yet when a thousand demons came out of the man and went into the pigs, all two thousand of them killed themselves. Half demon per pig. You're laughing at that. I figured that out on my own. Here's what's interesting to me as Jesus encountered the demons. They never had any doubt that they'd be doing something. There they were, face to face with the Lord of all creation. They knew they would do something. They just didn't know what it was. They didn't know what he'd tell them to do. But they knew that they would respond to what he said. By the way, tonight we're going to pick up with the pigs or people. The title of the message tonight we're going to pick up right here. The demons go out of the man into the pigs. They're down the mountain. And what a change, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. And now you get a picture of this man. He is with Jesus. Jesus is caring for him. And eyewitnesses affirm three things about him very quickly. First of all, he was calm. He was calm. It says, they came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed by the legion sitting there dressed in his right mind. He was sitting there calm. This is the man that had been a wild man. He had been uncontrollable. He had been unsociable. He had been fierce. He had been frightening. He couldn't be handled with chains. And now here he was sitting calmly dressed and in his right mind. You see, you know why he was calm? Before he had been controlled by Satan, now he was being controlled by the Savior. Now he was a different person. Can anybody say change? Talk, preachers talk about how your life has changed. You think this man's life had changed dramatic, drastic? Man, all of a sudden, the one who was living among the tombs is walking among the living. His actions, his attitude, his aura, even his appetite had 
changed. It was like to be in turn from a caterpillar to a butterfly, a tadpole to a frog. May I just ask a question? You think this man now had a testimony to give? I'll ask that again. Do you think this man now had a testimony to give? Here's the question to you. Well, you know, I was a bad dude before I started attending church, and I just started attending church. I went to that Sunday school class, and that Sunday school class met the needs that I need. I heard that preacher preach, and I love to hear that preacher preach. Tells the funny every now and then. Keeps my attention really good, and everything's good. And you listen to people give, quote, a testimony time and time and time again, and they never say one thing about what Jesus has done in their life. Folks, if Jesus has not done in your, anything in your life, you don't have a testimony. And by the way, if you don't have a testimony, your name's not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And just as sure as I'm standing here, the end is not going to be what you think it's going to be. Brother Jerry, you don't think I know where I'm going? I think a lot of people don't know where they're going. In fact, the Bible tells, Jesus said, Many who believe they're going to be going to heaven are not going to miss it. I mean, they're not going to make it. They're going to miss it. This guy had been changed. He was calm, but he was also coherent. He was also coherent. The verse 15 says, he was in his right mind. I kind of like that. I was told a long time, I play most of my sports right-handed, but I write and I eat left-handed. So we were sitting at a table and somebody said, you're a left-handed, you're a weirdo. And I said, that's before politically correctness was out there. I said, let me just tell you something. Inasmuch as the left side of your brain controls the right side of your body, and the right side of your brain controls the left side of your body, only left-handed people are in their right mind. <laughs> this man was sitting there in his right mind. The Greek word literally means he was sane. Yes, he was of sound mind. Yes, he was sober-minded. In other words, all of a sudden, he was thinking clear. Do you know that's what Jesus does for us pathetic sinners when he comes in in a powerful way and changes our life? He helps us to think clearly. Paul wrote it this way in Romans 12. He said, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. I've already said sin doesn't cause, sin calls your mind not to work right. Brother Jerry, can you just give us one example? Well, sure. I'm glad you limited it to one, but I could probably give you more. The poster boy for not thinking right, King David. Most people think King David's first sin was lusting after Bathsheba. Wrong. In the year that all kings went off to war, David Remained at home. I'll just say, a lot of us, when God has called us off to do something, we're remaining at home. We're not doing what he's called us to do. So there's where our problem comes. But you follow King David. Once he was at home, then he went up and thought he'd get him a... Guys, I know you're not going to like this. He thought he had sunbathe on that roof. Maybe he's working on his tan. So that's two sins. He's not thinking right. Then he sees Bathsheba and he lusts. Three sins... Then he calls her in and has an, adul- has an adulterous relationship with her. Um, 
And that's four sins. And then he calls uh, her husband home and sends her husband to uh, uh, spend the night with his wife. He's lying. Five sins. Then he has the husband killed. Six. I mean, the list goes on. And can you imagine a man after God's own heart in all this mess? It's because once he got into sin, Satan was controlling his thought pattern. And here is the man now. All of a sudden, he's come clean before Christ. Because he's come clean before Christ, Christ has given him a clean mind, a clean heart, a clean soul, a clean way of thinking, a clean way of processing, even a clean way for his mind to work because now his mind was freed from the shackles and the bondage and the chains of sin. He was now thinking clearly. He was now understanding more clearly. May I just say this to you just as a segue? That means that not only had he changed, that means he was changing. He was changing. Yeah, you read through here, he, those first 15, you can see that he is changing. and He was in his right mind. By the way, it made everybody afraid. We didn't read this today, but let me just tell you where the changing. If you look down in verses 18, 19, and 20, you understand that this man had changed so much that he didn't want to be with somebody, didn't want Jesus, till he what did want him. I'm, I'm picking up verse 18. As he, Jesus, was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed kept begging him to be with him. All of a sudden, this man didn't want to be alone. He didn't want to be in the tombs. He didn't want to be among the death because Jesus had raised him up from the land of the dead to the land of the living, and he wanted to spend some time with Jesus. He wanted to go with him. And then Jesus kind of gives him the first rendition of what will later become the Great Commission in verse 19. But he would not, Jesus would not let him go. Instead, he said, watch this, go back home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Verse 20, so he went out and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. Hey, Jesus actually told somebody to go and tell, and they actually went and told? How novel. Is Jesus telling you and me to go and tell? Tell the story of how Jesus changed us from being a pathetic sinner to where we can be a powerful saint. Jesus began with this man who had a need, which we all have, everybody in this room. And now here's a man with a story to tell. Do you have a story to tell? What is your story? Oh, Brother Jerry, I just can't talk about Jesus and God and all that stuff. I'm not a rookie here anymore. I may not be a resident, but I'm not a rookie. And here's what I'll tell you. I know most of you in this room. And talking is not one of your problems. We have the ability to talk. It's just what we want to talk about. If all you have is to tell somebody about walking an aisle getting dunked, you don't have a story. If all you have to tell is about your 20 years of perfect attendance in Sunday school, you don't really have a story. 
But if you have a story where the change that Jesus wrought about in your life is so profound that people see it that you just had to explain it, then you have a story. If you don't know the Lord, He has what you need. And if you do know the Lord, you have the story to tell. And I want to just say this to you as I end. There are tote loads of people in our community who need to hear an authentic story. Listen, walk down the churches that we fellowship with, Pleasant Ridge, North Highlands, Valley Creek, Crossroads, Concord. The list goes on. Think about the massive number of people. We have a Hueytown Community Revival average six, seven hundred people a night. There are people who say they know and love the Lord. And yet there are so many people in this area that still need to know the Lord. There's enough gospel-believing people in this town to reach everybody in this town with the love and the power and the grace and the gospel of Jesus. I just wonder. I wonder how hard it is to get to hell from Hueytown. The year was 1985. And a reporter for the Times in New Philadelphia was writing a story about the first summer in memory where at the New Orleans public pool there had not been a drowning. He was writing this story. In fact, they got to the end of the summer and they were so excited that there had not been a drowning this year that they threw a party, a celebration. 200 people showed up, including 100 qualified lifeguards. After the ceremony, they began clearing out the pool and off the deck. The four lifeguards who were on duty cleaned everybody up, and there he was. They saw a fully dressed man Age 31 years old, his name was, no kidding me, Jerome Moody, had drowned. I want you to think about the irony. He was the first one to drown that summer, and he drowned with a hundred qualified lifeguards standing around the pool. He drowned while they were celebrating their successes. Do we have a reason to celebrate? You betcha. Our Jesus has hung on the cross. He has paid the price for sin. And in order to find eternal life and abundant life, we have to come and fall before him just like that Gadarene and demoniac did. We have reason to celebrate. He not only died, he was in the grave for three days and he came back victorious and that's the Jesus that we serve. But I wonder, I wonder if we do so much time celebrating, we're letting people drown in the deep end of humanity. A call 
is for salvation. It is a need. We are God's plan A. As far as I can tell from this book, he has no plan B. What is God's divine call on your life?